श्री गुरु वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जय हरि नाम प्रभु की जय बहुत प्रेमानंदे वेलकम एवरीवन गुड इवनिंग वेलकम टू द न्यू टेंपल आई वर्क इन प्रोग्रेस दिस इज द फॉर्मल बिगिनिंग ऑफ आवर प्रोग्राम द ऑनरिंग ऑफ व्यास द व्यास पूजा Vyasa Puja. This means the worship of Vyas, as we know, and in our lineage, as we find coming from Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, he established once a year on the day of the Acharya's appearance in the world, there would be a gathering of the devotees and honoring of Vyas and the representation of Vyas in his personage by all the disciples. They would gather and there would be. homage and so forth and Saraswati Thakur would speak and we follow this uh, practice as it's been handed down by him it may not be practiced like this everywhere in Gaudiya Vaishnavism but it is in our lineage there's the uh, Vyasa Purnima which occurs in the uh, month of July every year the Guru Purnima I should say it's called a full moon in honor of the guru and everybody worships the guru on that day in all different lineages and what not so some godiya vaishnavas may follow that practice but anyway i i heard a criticism of this policy of bhakti siddhanta saraswati tapas a couple weeks ago and it went something like this that just the honoring of the, the guru on his or her birthday as we refers to it day of birth or sometimes we say appearance to want to kind of make it more divine something like that fellow said that really it's a birthday and it's just fostering the, the glorification of ignorance this way it makes him opposition to this kind of policy and saying it wasn't traditional and so on and so forth but we do it anyway we disagree with that notion first of all it may be conceived that the guru is not taking birth but liberated and appearing in the world for the purpose of liberating others or it may be that such a person took birth and became a qualified teacher and sharer of grace and realization competent to to deliver others we call it nitya siddha or sadhana siddha so in either case then the birth in which one becomes perfect is certainly honorable worshipable what could be better than that that is a birth to end all births and for that matter the birth of anyone who in that life takes to bhakti and takes to chaitanya mahaprabhu's teaching and so forth that is in my opinion an honorable worshipable birth and to honor the day of the birth of such a person even if they have not perfected their practice then is in my opinion doing justice to the significance it's an attempt to properly acknowledge the significance of such an extraordinary thing there are millions and millions of unlimited souls in the material world and very few attain human birth and amongst those very few get sadhu sanga and amongst those very few take advantage of it and uh, actually commit themselves to the life of of bhakti so in life that someone does that that life that birth that is a, a glorious thing i want to refer to much comment something along these lines is coming in my mind now and one of my godbrothers was sitting with him and he said oh today is a very inauspicious day guru maharaj and the guru maharaj said i said really what what happened he said well this is my birthday and on this day i was born in ignorance and i got this material body and so forth and shudamash had a very different take on that he said oh this in this birth you've got human birth that's a set worth celebrating such a rare thing and on top of that you've got sadguru connection with the real guru and from there it's a, 
short distance. I got rid of Mr. John Marsh used to say, the distance we have traversed thus far before meeting our Gurudev is far greater than the distance we have to traverse from this point on. It's insignificant in comparison. We may not realize it, but this is the beginning of all auspiciousness. This is the beginning of the end of material existence. And so to have made that beginning in a substantial way in this life makes this life worshipable, honorable, the birth. This way we honor this principle. Even here, we always have an ice cream on anybody's birthday. <laughs> so anyway, we follow this uh, particular tradition. It may be not honored everywhere, and there's room for differences and whatnot, but this is a little bit about why we do and how we feel about it. And uh, it seeks to demonstrate our sense of the value of Krishna Bhakti when we extend that, as I'm speaking, to honor the birth of everyone who in this life comes to take up this glorious path. So I would speak of someone who is developed and capable of helping us and teaching us and guiding us on that. That is certainly then his or her appearance in the world is, is auspicious. And so we honor that the day in this way, and of course in the context of doing that, as Nam Shrestam pointed out in his offering, we honor all of the gurus in the Guru Parampara on this day by honoring our guru. Because he derives his credibility, his credentials, from following the previous acharyas and his connection with them, honoring them, and so forth. So by honoring him, we honor all of them at the same time. Sometimes people like to think that they don't want to be tied to one particular guru because they might be limited. The fact of the matter is when we actually make our commitment to one guru, then we come in contact in a real and tangible sense with a whole lineage of gurus, a plurality of gurus. And if we don't commit to one particular guru, then we actually have no guru we commit a little bit here, we take what we like here, and then what we don't like, we leave, because someone else said it different over there, so we take from that person, that guru, that part, and this part over here, and we just stay in the world of our own mind in this way. So to actually take shelter of a bona fide guru means to come under the grace of all of the, the entire guru parampara becomes at our disposal. This is a lot of spiritual power to help us, and we need all the help that we can get. So on this day, by honoring our guru, we honor the whole disciplic succession. Our disciplic succession, of course, begins with different ways of talking about it, but one way is, of course, with Sri Krishna himself. The flute sound of Krishna is initiating Brahma, and Brahma is passing that insight down to Narada and Narada to Vyasa and Vyasa's given particular attention. We call it the Vyasa Puja. Why? Because Vyasa has given the scriptures. These manifest all the scriptures. And that means all the knowledge. It said Vyasa is like the sky and there's no limit to the sky. There's no limit to the knowledge of Vyasa found in the scriptures. We may find limitations from our own angle of vision, but we should think twice before reaching that conclusion because it is the scripture is multi-layered with meaning and significance and so on and so forth. So anyway, the vast body of sacred texts all manifest through Vyasa and the Guru as much as he derives credibility from the following the previous Gurus as well he does from following the scripture which they all follow. This is Veda Mata and Guru is like the father. Mata means mother. So Veda is like the scripture is like the mother and the Guru is like the father. And There's no divorce between these two. They can have a good upbringing there. The Guru cites the scripture and he defers to the scripture and the scripture defers to the Guru. They complement one another. Particularly, Vyasa is to be honored, the giver of knowledge. Guru is honored. Why? Not because he looks good or sings nicely or that he's uh, friendly or personable. He may be none of those things, but he has knowledge. Guru means, uh, one meaning of the word guru is heavy. 
heavy with what? Heavy with knowledge is the idea, that you cannot be blown away by the winds of different arguments and whatnot. Therefore, he can ground us by his association, speech, and example in unwavering commitment to bhakti. He can make it, let's say, difficult for us to move in another direction, cornering us, if you will, with that knowledge and forcing us to be hypocritical if we are to go contrary to his direction and then to, have to live with that. Very uncomfortable. And so Guru is made to make us uncomfortable, <laughs> to make us a little uh, uneasy, unsettled and so forth, that we might become settled in truth. Truth will be a little unsettling in a world that is based on falsity. That's a given. So heavy he is, heavy with knowledge, and that means brahmanishtam, shrutriyam. Brahmanishtriyam means he's heard sufficiently from scripture and this body of revelation, and he can explain it to us according to time and circumstance, make it relevant in our lives and so forth, as it is, to demonstrate that for us bring it home, so to speak. What is it saying? How does it apply to you? And how it's important, so important that the whole rest of the world could go up in flames and it wouldn't make any difference if you understood this topic. Anyway, our disciplic succession has existed from Krishna to Brahma to Nara to Vyas and Vyas down, Madhva and so forth. And it comes to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Puri, Ishvara Puri, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Rup, Sanatan, Subhaldev, Nityananda Prabhu, so on and so forth, down to the present day. And then from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Gaudiya Sampradaya becomes Brahma Sampradaya, Madhva Sampradaya, Gaudiya, Brahma Madhva Gaudiya. From Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, then there are many different lineages coming from his associates. Our particular lineage is sometimes referred to as the Bhaktivinoda Purivar, the family of Bhaktivinoda, who so prominently represented Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teaching in modern times, He interfaced an ancient tradition with modernity in a way to extend its life and make it relevant to uh, people outside of the cultural milieu in which it was known to where it was not known and and then to make it relevant in a very significant way and also in terms of sorting out within India what it was that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came to give. It had been somewhat distorted over the time to give emphasis on Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He did this in a very extraordinary way, as much as the Goswami, Srups, Natana, and so forth, revealed the Dham of Vrindavan. Bhaktivinotaku revealed the significance of the Dham of Navadvip. Our lineage in this way, we refer to it following the idea of Bhaktisanta Sarasthitakur. Sometimes we affectionately refer to it as the Bhaktivinod Bodhibhar, the family of Bhaktivinod. We're very proud to be members of the family of Bhaktivinod that has given this Gaudiya Vaishnavism to the world. Now it's our task to try to explain it to people in such a way as they can understand the significance of that, the universality of it. This is important. It's not a small sectarian idea for a few people with antiquated ideas, but it goes to the heart of the nature of being. Prabhupada once said when he was asked about Bhaktivinoda Thakur's statement, Bhaktivinoda Thakur said, I left this world, my work undone. And when Prabhupada was asked by one of his students, what did he mean? Prabhupada said, oh, that is his mercy. He could have done everything, but he left something for us to do. So this is what he left us to do, his task to explain these things and to understand the relevance of that in our own life, that we may apply ourselves in such a way as to become a, a bhakti we know, the person who really comes to relish bhakti. So, this we come to then, a relisher of bhakti in this fifth stanza of Guruvastakam. This fifth verse is about pratikshana svadana, asvadana, asvadana, relishing Pratikshana svadana lulupasya, with intensity. This is where we want to come to, and this is what Gurudev is about. When we come to this verse, we come from an external 
description of the Guru to a general explanation, Sangsara Dhavanana Nida Loka Tranaya Karana Gunaganatum Praptasya Kalina Gunanavasya Vande Guru Sri Charanadvanya. These things can be seen. He's Gunanavasya. He's an ocean of good qualities. And practically, we see he's Sangsara Dhavanala. The, 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 the fire of material existence is being extinguished by his association, by hearing repeatedly from him, by reciprocating in terms of the mandate that hearing places upon us to, to rise to the occasion and serve and sacrifice and so forth. We find material existence is, is coming to an end. We're getting some relief. So these things are tangible, practical, experienceable quickly. After all, all miseries, kleshagni, this comes in sadhana bhakti only. Mahaprabhu Kirtananitikita, describing external symptoms and his preoccupation with hearing and chanting with musical instruments and so forth. And loss in Kirtan, these things we can see in, in third verse, Shivigurahara Dananityanana Shingaratanmandiramajana, establishing the temple, the deity, and so forth, and showing the worship and engaging the disciples in this. And Chatubidhashi Bhagavat Prashad, cannot miss this. Everybody has to eat. Eating is so fundamental to existence. You have to eat to live. And so this bhakti comes with eating, how to eat and live in a meaningful way. So he offers prasad to the devotees. So this is all external. Not, I don't mean external lesser. I mean it's all visible. Then we come to the fifth shloka, and then it's invisible. Fifth verse, sixth verse, it becomes then invisible. But we have some sense about that invisible reality of the guru because we're getting some if we apply ourselves some results externally just like what I mean to say is if I tell you something about Krishna Leela but you have no access to see that what reason do you have to believe it because other things that I've said to you about the nature of the mind the nature of the world you have seen you didn't see the world in that way but when you began to hear from guru you began to see Oh, it's not a bowl of cherries. It's the pits. <laughs> it's not uh, these senses by which I contact sense objects look like they're just a source of happiness. But even though I was exercising them in relation to sense objects, acquiring and tasting and smelling, and, and this is my whole life. My whole life is senses, right? And in relation to sense objects and the impressions that they send to the mind by which I make determinations and I have my life. This is who I am. I like this, I don't like that. That defines me. So we were going on in this way in, in pursuit of happiness, only to hear from the sadhu, from the guru, in such a striking way that it was like putting the train in reverse suddenly. I was going full force like a train in pursuit of happiness in relation to sense objects and defining my life in this way, who I am, what I am. But I heard such a powerful conception, idea, that like put the train full force in reverse. I'm going in the wrong direction. Dukkayonai, he would say. It's just the opposite. These senses, as Krishna says in the Gita, are wombs of misery. They give birth to misery. When I interact with sense objects, I don't become happy in the long run. I get some immediate sensation. I call it pleasure, but I can't ever get enough of it. <laughs> That's frustrating. It never quite satisfied me. I look here, I look there. One sense pulls me in one direction, other sense in another direction. The fact of the matter is this. If you could take all of the enjoyment that you could gather in this world from all of the senses of all of the people and all the beings, everyone is gathering in pursuit of pleasure through their instruments of the senses. You took all of it. Everybody's gathering it. Everyone is gathering. No one is satisfied by this fully. Everyone is doing this. No one is fully satisfied by this. <laughs> you got to think twice. This has been going on forever. And no one's satisfied by it fully. And then I want to say to you, if you took all of that, if you could take that all together and put in a big syringe what everybody's experiencing through all of their different senses for not only now, but for all time, if you could take that and inject it into yourself, 
It wouldn't satisfy. One person, one soul, one soul could not be satisfied by all of the possibilities of sense gratification that exists if he could get it all at once. Because the soul is categorically different from matter. Consciousness is the perceiver. Matter is perceived. Of course, we can deceive ourselves such that we can talk about ourselves, consciousness, in such a way as to do away with ourselves. We can reason like that if we like. But does it make you happy? The conclusion of such reasoning is there cannot be ultimate happiness. That's the conclusion of such reasoning. I mean atheistic reasoning. That's the conclusion. A conclusion that does not sit well with anyone. No matter how quick they may be to spout it, the fact of the matter is they continue to look for pleasure, enduring pleasure. Now, who's reasonable? Those who say, by their very philosophy, that there is no ultimate fulfillment. One cannot be perfectly happy. There is no absolute happiness. Everyone is looking for pleasure. No matter how you want to philosophize, everyone is looking for pleasure, for happiness. So who's crazy? Those who say it doesn't exist but keep looking for it. Or those who say it exists and look for it. And offer a methodology for pursuing it that is categorically different from the way in which we are in pursuit of it before meeting such persons in Guru Parampara. So Guru gives this kind of knowledge and this kind of knowledge. If we are a little bit, well, a little bit intelligent and a little bit exasperated with the prospect of becoming fully happy with the life of material acquisition and interaction with sense objects, if we're fortunate to come to this way of thinking, then we're a little receptive then to hear. Like a sponge, we become, to drink that up. And this changes the course of our life. So this is tangible. So, so when I say something, my point is about Krishna Leela, and you have no experience of that, why do you believe that? Because so many other things that have been said, you can see, that's true. I didn't see it like that. I wasn't seeing like that. I felt maybe there was something wrong. Not quite there. But when I heard this, and I, and, oh, I saw the world in a way that I never saw it before, but in a way that it is, actually. So he reveals to us, practically, what is before our eyes that we could not see and tells us about things that we can see if we follow him and develop that premanjana, premanjana charita, bhakti vilochanena, sandasareva hridayeshu vilokayanti yam shama sundaram, achinta guna surupam, govindamari purusham tamambana. Premanjana, eyes tinged with the salve of love. This kind of eyes will give us a very different outlook. That's why I'm always stressing on this point. Give. Don't be a taker. Be a giver. This is the beginning of understanding love. The more you learn to give, the more you will see the world in the way that you could not possibly see it when you were driven to exploit it and take from it for your own mind-driven purpose. It will not show itself to us if we try to exploit it for our small idea of what it is. That's not up to us to define every purpose of everything. Everything has a purpose of its own. And it will reveal itself. Reality, nature, all will reveal itself to us when we approach on friendly terms. Therefore, I'm always emphasizing this point. Be a lover. Be a giver. Not a taker. The guru is like this, a lover. And so, because we have practical experience of that, that he's showing us what we could not see, giving us eyes to see in a way that we could not see otherwise, then those things that he talks about that we cannot yet see, we believe in those too. So there's the invisible side to it. At the moment, perhaps, it doesn't have to be invisible forever. So we come to this verse, and this, again, goes kind of inside. He says, Vishwana uh, Chakdittaka says what? Si radika madhavayodapara madhudjalila gunarupanamnam pratikshana svadhanalolupasya vande gurushi charanadavindam Si radika madhavayodapara 
we're told about Radha and Madhava, that they have a life and it's apar. It is unlimited. It is limitless. Maybe we have come before the deity by the grace of Guru. Guru gives mantra by which we can worship the deity, make sambandha with him, connection with him. But he just stands there. We have a life. We're busy with so many things. And every now and then we offer him, say something to him. But he just stands there. We're told that he has a life. But we don't see it. Of course, if we properly learn, we listen and learn how to approach the deity, then we'll see the life. But for the most part, that life, that's invisible. Guru is talking about it. There is some description in the scripture, but that is not manifest before our eyes. That is not manifest in our heart. Sri Radhika Madhavayorapara. This Radha Krishna affair is unlimited. It's full of life. It makes your life look like death. We are so busy, so many important things that you think it is so dull, so boring. Patikshana Svadhana. He cannot miss a minute of that. Patikshana, like the blinking of an eye. If the gopis for one and cowherds, if the eye blinks, they think, what kind of eyes are these that the creator of Brahma made that I cannot see Krishna's form for that split second? They're aware of their blinking. Guru is aware of his blinking, not wasting any time. Avyakta kalatvam. Time is very valuable. Worship time, my petition time. That time that Krishna shows grace will remain in that. Well, very eagerly, Lolupasya, greedily, he's spending his time, Ashwadana, relishing the life of our unlimited life. He's entering that life and it makes all the busyness of our lives in the world here seem very boring and insignificant in comparison. The coward, if Krishna goes behind a tree or when bathing in the Jamun, if he goes under water, heart will throb. There's some feeling of a separation, <laughs> like this kind of eagerness, this kind of, the point being the life of Radha and Krishna is so entertaining, it's so consuming that the whole world of sense enjoyment becomes pale and, and uninteresting. This is Bhairagya. Vidyanija Bhakti Yoga of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. The, the Bhakti Yoga of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is like this. Detachment comes naturally by hearing about Radha and Krishna. That light, that world, this is the real world. Somebody once asked me, Maharaj, I want to ask you a private question. I said, what is that? He said, is there any real sex life in Krishna Leela? I mean, real sex life. I laughed. I said, there's no real sex life in the material world. That's all just some <laughs> false thing. This is real life here, Krishna Leela. Sometimes it said, oh, I came to be a monk at Audarya, and I thought, here I am practicing, but what relevance does my life have to the world out there? But after time, if here she stays, then she starts to think, what relevance does the world have out there to my life? It has become so big, so rich, so deep, Gambir. Mahaprabhu was living in the, what's called the Gambira, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, a little room, about eight by eight, stone room, very small room. Whenever you go anywhere, you think, where am I going to stay? What are my accommodations going to be? And so forth. And Mahaprabhu was living in a small room, but Gambir, it's deep, it means, such a deep idea he had. Such a deep and far-reaching idea. Unconcerned with sleeping on the floor and what? Rubbing his face on the walls in oblivion. Unconscious of the world around him. So potentially consuming is this life of Radha and Krishna. This is our whole process to hear about Radha and Krishna. This make the whole world just evaporate. You have no time for it, no interest in it. And you become of so much interest to thoughtful people in the world. Thoughtful people will reflect and think, what are they doing up there in the woods? <laughs> What is that? They get together and they howl and <laughs> roar and roll on the ground and chant and cry and then laugh. And What are they doing there? This is Mahavu's Kirtan, Jiva Sangam. What's going on there? Intelligent people line the banks of the Ganges thinking, 
I don't know what that's about. I have no access, but I would like to know. For them, Mahabharu came out, began to give this Sankirtan, by which that world can be accessed. So Guru is accessing that world. As we say, Sri Radhika Madhava Yodapada. These are famous names, Radha Madhava, most ancient names for Radha and Krishna in the scripture. Maybe, I think, in Rig Veda, Parishtad is appearing. The names Radha, Madhava. Madhava is a very nice name. Madhava means, Ma means Lakshmi. And Bhava means husband. So, husband of the goddess of fortune. So, wherever there's Madhava, husband, the wife must be nearby. The two are there, my point being, in the one name, Madhava. But we say Radha Madhava, because we're not only interested in Lakshmi and Narayan, but Madhava, Krishna. Ma also means knowledge, husband of knowledge, and Ma means Madhu, means honey. There's a kind of thing called honey knowledge. Madhubidya, Madhubidya, this is the secret knowledge. Some people think it is the knowledge of the Upanishads, but it's actually the knowledge of the Bhagavatam. Madhubidya, honey knowledge, the knowledge of sweetness. Knowledge of how to make the whole world sweet and honey-laden by going within and contacting the source of everything that is honey-like and sweet. And this is Madhurja. Sri Radhika Madhavoyor Apara Madhurja Lila Gunarupa Nam Nam. Madhurja here means sweet. We like to think of it as conjugal love, perhaps. But it has a broader meaning here. In Chaitanya Charitamrita, Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami is speaking about this Shringara, Rati, Shingar Rasa, the relationship of conjugal love of Radha and Krishna. And he says, because it is so sweet, I call it Madhurja, sweetness. But it's real, that is his sweetness. But the real name is Shringar Rasa. And Madhurja, while it refers to this, it has a broader meaning as well. Prabhupada, in speaking about this verse, once said, and so in this way the Guru, he is always absorbed in the affairs of Radha and Krishna, just like the gopis, or sometimes like the cowherds. Why he would say such a thing, only we know. There is no reason for saying such a thing. The following verse also sets a very interesting thing in relation to that. Of course, the whole stanza is written by Vishwanath Chakabitakur, and his realization is there. He is in that sentiment of Shingarasa, of Madhurya Rasa. But the term has a broader application. Madhurya and Aishvarya, these are two realities of the Absolute. We should understand clearly this idea of Madhurya. Sweet, yes, it is sweet that Radhe Jai Jai Madhavodaite, Gokul Tarani Mandalamohite. Amongst all the Gokul Tarani, she is the most wonderful and qualified and Madhavodaite, dear to Madhava. Dear to Madhava means that if the wind, Prabhupada Saraswati Thakur says, comes and catches her sari and bends it a little bit and then that air comes, that wind carrying the scent from her sari comes in the direction of Krishna. Krishna pays his obeisance to that direction, thinking his life has become successful. That is Madhava Daite. Dear to Madhava, in a way that we cannot imagine. But why is it wonderful to us that Radha can conquer Krishna? We're talking about, sounds sweet, that Krishna is conquered by Radha. Why? Why is it sweet? <laughs> because of his Aishvarya. Otherwise, what's charming about that? <laughs> because he's all powerful, Purna Brahma. And this is happening to him. Therefore, it becomes sweet. So these two are inseparable. This is Chintya Veda Veda. He's all knowing and he's forgetful of who he is. Both sides. The forgetfulness of his own omniscience is his sweetness. And his omniscience, that is his Aishvarya. Even when he forgets his omniscience, he's still omniscient. 
that doesn't change. So you cannot separate out the omniscience. Otherwise, it just becomes mundane. He is who he is, and this is his life. He is the Supreme Brahman, and this is his love life, and this is what happens to him. Prem rises up and covers him. We cannot separate out the Aishvarya, otherwise there's no Madhurya. Madhurya means that he's forgetful. What happens is the Prem, manifest in his devotees, rises up and covers him. Vishnu Thakur has given an example. Just like in our lives, Maya Shakti covers us. We don't know who we are, what's our interest, although that becomes miserable for us. For Krishna, by Yogamaya's influence, when that Prem swells up, he becomes covered as to the fact that he's the Supreme All-Knowing, but it makes him happy, that's the difference. That covering makes him very happy. It makes for the possibility of intimate reciprocal dealings with those who feel that way about him, who have no separate interest, who are interested only in his interest. How much he will become interested in that person. If someone's only interested in what you want, you will be very interested in them. This is the standard of Brajabhakti. So this Aishvarya and Madhurya, the omniscience of God, the godliness and the sweetness, where the godliness is not retired, but it is suppressed for the sake of intimacy. So there are different kinds of devotees of Krishna. Some have Aishvarya Gyan Nishta, some have Madhurya Gyan Nishta. And in the Braj Bhakti, the Bhakti that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has come to tell us about, they're all Madhurya Gyan Nishta. They're all fixed in this. And we should also understand that while they're fixed in this kind of knowledge, which is also called Gyan Shunya Bhakti, not Bhakti that's unencumbered by knowledge, what kind of knowledge? Knowledge of sweetness is a kind of divine ignorance as to his omniscience. While we speak about it like this sometimes, the fact of the matter is that they are not fully unaware of his omniscience. They are aware of it. And it comes out, you may read in the Bhagavad Gita and think, well, gopis are saying this about Krishna. Radharani is in Brahma Gita speaking to the bumblebee about Krishna and how she's fed up with him and so forth. And then she starts saying, yeah, that black man, that black fellow, that black boy, he, he killed a monkey. What's that? He was an archer, chhatriya, and as a chhatriya, he killed a monkey. You can't eat monkeys. You know, if you're going to live in the forest and you have to eat, and then, okay, some chhatriyas will kill an animal like this. and There's some place for that, but not monkeys. In Ramlila, she's talking about Ramlila. Ramchandra killed Bali. He says, what kind of person is this? And he cut off Supernika's nose and then wouldn't marry her. And who will marry a girl who doesn't have a nose? Once doing that, he should have married her. And in Vamana Leela, she talks about this. She's aware of the Vamana Leela and the Ram Leela and, and so on. Biyogini Radha. She's feeling separation from Krishna and Krishna's in Dwarka. Very intense separation. And at that time, this opulence, this Aishwarya, sometimes shows itself. It shows itself to help those devotees who are so steeped in their, their separations that they could just hurt themselves. <laughs> This helps them, it saves them. But, but their knowledge of his... But see how she talked about him. He round this, he did that, he did this, this guy. What kind of person is he? So the, the knowledge comes, it's there in the background, it surfaces, but you see it doesn't affect her praying at all. It doesn't affect her humanness. When Krishna shows opulence, Aishvarya, in Vrindavan, he does it in such a way, he doesn't take on a different form and show Aishvarya and kill a demon. He's lying underneath the cart, and he goes like this, with his, like a baby kicks his foot, and the whole cart collapses, and this was the Shakata Sura, who took an invisible form like the cart, and he killed the cart. He killed the demon. He didn't take another form and show opulence, and, but it didn't interrupt his humanness. So when Aishvarya is manifest, but the humanness is not interrupted, this is Madhurya. This is the Brajlila. Don't think there is no Aishvarya in the Brajlila. There is more Aishvarya there than anywhere in Vaikuntha. The difference is there's so much Aishvarya in Vrindavan that it makes the Aishvarya of Vaikuntha look insignificant. But there's so much more sweetness that it becomes overshadowed by the sweetness. What is an example? In the Brahma Vimohan Lila, what did Krishna show? 
unlimited worlds emanate from Narayan. The metaphor is given from the pores of his body, the breathing, the worlds are coming. This is pretty opulent, the whole world's coming from him. And what do we see in the Brahma Mohan Lila? Unlimited Narayans emanating from Krishna. You show this to Brahma. Brahma's got, you know, some Aishwarya. So he couldn't be comfortable seeing Krishna. It's Madhurja. It made him uncomfortable. He felt uneasy. He had doubts. So Krishna showed him. Oh, then he felt, oh, I feel good now. <laughs> and the cowards, well, maybe they didn't see that exactly. But every day when herding cows on the way home from the forest into the pasture and into the town of Vrindavan, every day they're seeing God's coming and offering prayers to Krishna and so forth. It's all there given in Bhagavatam. They're telling people about it and so forth. But it doesn't affect their relationship with them. They think, well, that's cool, our friend. <laughs> people think of him like this. They're crazy, those people. <laughs> they're worshipping him. He's just one of us. He's God so crazy. Muyantiyat Suraya. This Krishna of Bhagavatam, Madhurya Krishna, is bewildering the gods and goddesses. They cannot understand him. Every day the cowards are seeing this. Every day. And the people are hearing about it. Doesn't change their life at all. They just think, oh, that's cool. My friend is like that. People think of my friend like that. It doesn't cause them to, their heart to throb and, and get nervous and, oh my goodness, he's God and I've been dealing with him like this. This happened to Arjun. This is Purasam. He's a Purasam Mandi, a friend in the city. So he's got Aishvarya Gyanishta, or mixed, or Devaki, Vasude, in Mathura, inhabitants of Dwarka. When Krishna shows that Aishvarya is Godhood, then that takes precedent over their relationship. Vasudev Devaki, they hadn't seen Krishna for so many years. He was living in the Braj, and then he came at 10, 11 years old to be reunited with his so-called parents. And what did they see? They saw him kill Kamsa. How did he kill Kamsa? Krishna got him down and he held his fist up and then he scared him to death, is what happened. He didn't ever hit him. He just scared him. His heart stopped. And Anyway, there's Kamsa. Kamsa's a big fellow. Putana, Shakatasura, Dinukasura, Vatsasura, Trinavarta, all of these... They're all under the auspices of Kamsa. They're all doing his bidding. What was his power? He fought with all of them and established himself. They were his order carriers. So when Kamsa was killed, that's a powerful display of opulence. The cowards, they didn't notice it. They were all there ringside, also ready to jump in and help Krishna at any minute. But when Devaki and Vasudev saw it, then they began to offer their prayers to him. And Krishna said, I came here to be your son. You would have treated me like this. So he came, sat on the lap, and covered them so that they would show some Vatsalya Bhakti. But the nature of their relationship is such that if that opulence that Aishvarya is shown, then their Vatsalya Bhakti will recede to the background. But this is not the case amongst the devotees of Braj. That is a land of sweetness. This is the land that Vishwana Chakvati Thakur is referring to. This is where he wants to go. This is where Guru wants to take us. This is our Guru Parampara, to that place. We have to understand Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. This is the Paribhas Sutra of Bhagavatam. Everything revolves around that. Hamsarvasya Prabhupada, we find it in the Gita. I'm the source of everything, Krishna says. We have to understand that in order that Aishvarya, understanding it is necessary in order to enter into this Madhurja. If you know who he is, then you know this is the place to repose myself, my capacity to give, to love. There, there's no limit. I want to give unlimitedly. Here's the place I can give unlimitedly. Here's the unlimited taker. Here's the stomach, proper place to give the food by which the whole body will be nourished. So we should properly understand this idea of Madhura. He says here, Sri Radhika Madhavayor Aparam Madhurjalila Gunarupa Namnam Apar also means what? I said it means unlimited. It means they have a life. It means that the guru, his life is their life. He may be a sannyasi externally, but 
Then why, some will ask, is he so busy purchasing this like he wants to get just this particular thing and have it just in this way and color the wall this way and that? Let's just like some eccentric uh, householder who wants their house to be in and going to purchase uh, from the shop and market everything. And What is a sannyasi doing this for? He should not have any desires and he's got all these particulars and the way he wants it and so forth. So the whole sannyasa is kind of a sham. It means entering into the family of Radha and Madhava, the Vrindavan family. They have so many desires in their love. It's desireless in that they only desire one another's well-being. There's two, so it's dynamic. So there's so many things. And he's concerned with all those things. And it will be manifesting externally in his or her preaching and, and so on and so forth. But... But acquainted with this life, this means, apar means unlimited. Apar means svarasiki. This is what it means. Svarasiki means astakal, 24 hours, no interruption. This is going on. There's two types of lila Jiva Goswami mentions in Bhakti Sandarbha. One type of lila, mantramayi, and other, svarasiki. One is still, one is moving. They're two types of lila, but really they're the same in another sense. By focusing on the one, the other will follow. One is like a lake, and the other like so many rivers flowing into that. If the river should stop at some point, it will be a lake. So, Swarasiki means he has that kind of bhajan life. Shri Radhika Madhavayot Apara. It's unlimited. It's not just standing in one place. Although that may be unlimited too, but beyond that, when the Leela is moving in his heart, he's following that. This is the ideal. Now, of course, you teach us how to do that, how to come to that. And as I say, that begins with the first kind of Leela, Mantra Mai, to do that kind of Vipassana. That's why I said earlier that Diksha has something to do with Archan. The Guru gives Mantra, Mantra corresponds with the deity, and now you have capacity for worshiping the deity, the ishta, the deity, the ideal, the lord of your of your heart. And the deity standing there still, this is still frame, picture of the motion picture of Krishna Lila. If we learn how to approach that properly and we do so, then it turns into a motion picture in his heart. So Sri Radhika Madhavayor. Apara, Madhurja. It is Lila Madhurja. He's concerned with the Lila Madhurja, not the other Lilas, but with this Lila. This is what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came to acquaint us with. And there, why be acquainted with any other Lilas where Aishvarya is predominant? If you like Aishvarya even, go there, go to the Brudge. As I said, there's more Aishvarya there than anywhere. <laughs> there's no comparison to the amount of Aishvarya that is manifest in Brudge to that manifest in Vaikuntha. It make Narayan look like a pauper in comparison. But again, the sweetness is so much, so great, so great, that it makes the Aishvarya seem insignificant. But anyway, if you want Aishvarya, go there. If you want sweetness, real sweetness, go there, because real sweetness cannot be had if there's not Aishvarya, as we've explained. So this is what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, his men, his women, they want to take us there. Madhur Dilila. Madhur Dilila. Madhur Prem. Prema Madhur Lila Madhur Venu Madhur Rupa Madhur This is the way in which Krishna has been distinguished from Narayana. He has Venu Madhur his sweet flute he's playing. Narayana doesn't play that flute. And Rupa Madhur sweet form. Even Narayan wanted to see that form. That's why he stole the Brahmin's sons and Krishna came with Arjuna to Svetadip. This is what he said, I wanted to have your darshan. Rupa Madhurya, Venu Madhurya, Rupa Madhurya, Lila Madhurya, oh, his sweet Lila, and Prema Madhurya, kind of Prem. There's a Prem in Vaikuntha, there's a Prem in Ayodhya, yes. But when we compare it to the frame of the Braj, then it's not even really fair to use the word frame. 
that love of Vaikuntha. Here is a real full face of love in the Brajlok. Therefore, as I've said before, other Sampradayas whose ideal is Vaikuntha, what do they call their ideal? Do they call it Prem? No. They call it Mukti. Not Prem. And our goal? What is our Prayojan? Prem Prayojan. Prem Prayojan. This is a Gaudiya word, really. We've seized on this. This is the real... In comparison, if you want to talk about love, then you come to Braj, then you go to Baikunti. This is not... This is nice, but this is something different. So, this is our group, Parampara. Shri Radhika Madhavayor Apar Madhudyalila And how will we arrive there? At Madhudyalila Gunarupa Nam Nam Gunarupa Nam Nam Pratikshana Sadhana Lulu Pasya When you have Pratikshana and Ashwadan Lulu Pasya Greed for Nam Then Rup Guna Lila will all manifest in your heart in succession. We maybe think we're very interested to hear about Krishna Lila. Oh, I am very interested. I am so qualified. I have such attraction. It's so sweet when I hear that. Say something sweet, Maharaj. Maharaj says, chant Japa. Mm-hmm. No, I meant something sweet. <laughs> something sweet. <laughs> chant Japa. I go to sleep then. It begins with Nam. We've heard that Krishna Lila, I've said this before, but it's worth repeating. Krishna Lila is non-different from Krishna. Krishna's qualities are non-different from Krishna. Krishna's rupa, his form, is non-different from Krishna. Krishna's name is non-different from Krishna. Right? But we hear something else about the name. What is that? That while the name is non-different from Krishna, there is at the same time a difference between the name and Krishna. It means what? That Krishna is his name. No difference. But in the form of his name, he's more generous. Therefore, there's a difference. The name is the person. No difference. But in the form of the name, he's very generous and goes to the unqualified, those who can't see his form, who aren't even interested in his form. The name goes to them. Therefore, the emphasis is given on name. That if you do concentrate on nam, pratikshana, without blinking, so to speak, of falling asleep without blinking. Once, I saw a number of times, but on one occasion, Pramod Puri Marj, a, a devotee, came to him and said he'd lost his japa beads, and that Prabhupada had given him, actually, he wondered if Puri Marj would chant on his beads. He should have beads chanted on by a Vaishnav. So Puri Marj says, yes, I can do that if you like. And so then he, he took the beads, and then he began to chant. And his head went up, like looking into the sky, and... <laughs> Just focus there, like taking darshan and just just chant. We all sit in there and just chanting with such attention. When chanting nam comes with this kind of attention, with no inattention, then rupa, the form of Krishna, will manifest in the mind of the devotee. We may augment that process. We may expedite it. Bhaktivinoda Thakur has told us by sitting before the form of the Lord and the deity and chanting, with a view to help pay attention and not be distracted. One thing we should know, however, in all of this, when we chant and we are distracted, and the mind goes in different places and so forth, don't pay much attention to that. Don't be discouraged by that. That's natural. That's the stage that you're in. And the way to get out of that stage is to go on chanting. Not that you should say, well, it's okay, I just let my mind... You you try, of course, but the fact that you can't focus the mind, there's good reason for that. You shouldn't wonder why it's not working. (laughs) You've been habituated for a long time. You still have your life of the senses to one extent or another. And you take this kind of input from the world through the senses. And so you've got all these things in your head, and they're going to come up. And as you get tired of that, and you gravitate towards an environment that's just more conducive and so forth. You just cut back on the input. You know, No more television. I just can't listen to that radio anymore. Same old news again and again. They sit down and hash over some news event. And what do you think, Bob? What do you think, Charles? And we'll go to Tel Aviv. And here he's going to say, you know, they're saying the same thing. It's just a, some form of entertainment. And you just got to turn it off. You know, you think, is the world going to blow up at any minute? Or something's going to happen. I better stay tuned. Something's going to happen and I'm going to miss it. 
Then you go to India for two weeks and you don't hear any news, anything, and you come back and you think, well, it was okay. <laughs> that wasn't bad. I feel good about that. I don't have so many things on my mind when I chant. So this way, it's a lifestyle, this chanting. Do in the morning and then have a lifestyle that doesn't correspond with that. We may be in that condition, but Nam is meant to bring us in the other direction. Nam is meant to bring us, name is meant to bring us into his life. If you call his name, he's going to come. That's a fact. If we're in an assembly here and I start talking about, I know a person, he does this, she does that, then we might not know who it is. Because, well, the other people do similar things, we think. It could be this one, it could be that one. And I say, well, let me tell you more about that person. He's handsome. Maybe it's this one, maybe it's that one. He's kind-hearted. Oh, maybe it's that one. Couldn't be that one. We're talking about his quality. Then we talk about his form. Well, I guess I talked about handsome, but anyway. You talk about his qualities. You talk about her form. Still, we don't know who he is. Say his name, everybody knows that. It's him. Oh, it's him. Immediately. Oh, yeah. I'm identified comprehensively by name. That's what they say. Did you get his name? If you got his name, you've got him. Who was it? Oh, you didn't get his name. It's the same principle. Nam, the Guna, the Lila, the Rupa, they're all in the name. You have to plumb the depths of Nam. Nam Sankirtan, this is what Mahaprabhu did. And all these things came out. So what is said about Nam is said about Guna, Rupa, Lila of the Lord, but something more. The name and Krishna are the same, but the name, in the form of his name, is more generous. So take advantage of that generosity and pay attention. When we can do Pratikshana Svadana Lulu Pasya, when we can, with Lola, Lolium, it means He's talking about rag bhakti. This is the whole idea of braj bhakti. Guru has this eagerness. We see this eagerness at least in relation to name. He likes to speak about the glories of the name, to chant the name, to do kirtan, like Bhaktisiddham Sarsri Thakur, in a big way, spreading this thing around. Who doesn't fall asleep when chanting the name? Patikshana, Ashvadan, who has to take some relish in that. So that person then, group will come. But we can expedite that. Bhakti Muratakura said, by sitting before the deity. This will mean what? I'm trying to pay attention. So I sit myself down. I drive up from Brahmaloka and I sit down here for half an hour and chant in front of the deity. Now the temple is manifest. Such a beautiful altar. Of course, not thinking about the future. <laughs> so beautiful. It's so charming there. I'll go sit there and chant. One, two, three, four rounds. And I know that the potential for me being distracted will be less, so I'll go there. Nam will reciprocate like this. And I'll see the form, the form of the Lord, and it'll have an impression on me. I'll be able to carry that. I'll begin to be able to bring these two together in realization. The identity of Nam, name with the named, with the person. They're the same. It's a realization. Krishna and his name we don't have the realization. Therefore, we don't pay attention to the chanting. Or we think, gee, if I could have just taken birth when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was here. <laughs> but the name is here. And this is what Mahaprabhu was giving out. It's here now. And all those leaders are contained within there. So from name, then the rupa will manifest. And from rupa, guna, qualities. And this means particular qualities, qualities of the Lord that pertain to the budding sentiment of the devotee in his heart. For Sakya Bhakta, certain qualities would stand out. Krishna's fast talking, ability to talk different languages, the different animals and birds and so forth. So these qualities start to manifest in the mind and then in the heart. The leelas that correspond, they start to manifest. And so, how you will get at that madhurya leela, that sweet leela? Through nam, then rup, then guna, this kind of smarnam. Not that we can't think of Krishna leela, you should try to think of Krishna leela. But to be absorbed in that trance, this will come through paying attention to nam. Never will come, ever, 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 without that. In other words, don't think that you can skip over the 
necessity to chant offenselessly. As long as your chanting is offensive, how are any of these other things will come? And what is the basis of offense to Nam? Inattention. And what does that mean? That I don't try. Make an effort and get help from others. Guru is like this. Vishwanath Chakravitaka says, Sri Radhika Madhavayora Paramadur Dilila Gunarupa Namnam Pratikshana Svadana Lulupasya Vande Guru Sri Sharanadavinam So, are there any questions? Brahma, you had a question. Yeah, I have a question. Doesn't the ability to actually pay attention depend upon other things? Like, for instance, if you have Vaishnava Parad, if you're, you know, if you're offensive to the Vaishnavas, or if you're, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you don't have a service attitude, or, or other things, because I always thought that the name, it kind of comes to you. It agrees to come to you, so there's other stuff before just the idea of, like, trying to pay attention. Other stuff before it. Yeah, there's other things that have to come first before just trying to pay attention. That need to be cleared? Yeah, you know, like, for instance, if you're an offensive to the Vaishnavas, and then you sit down and say, well, I'm going to try to pay attention to the name. Yeah, no, not possible. You know, the name's not going to come, even if you try to pay attention. The, the other things, they kind of clear, they kind of benedict you with an ability to pay attention in a sense. Well, yeah, it's offensive to be offensive to Vaishnavas. The name is, you know, not going to manifest there. Name does come to us regardless of our offensive condition. And if we chant, what would happen, what should happen is we should become aware of, you know, our offensive mentalities and whatever and so forth and so on. And I'm not entirely following perhaps your your logic, but yeah, things have to be cleared in order to uh, be able to pay attention to the name. But the name comes anyway, you say, in this age? The name will come anyway? He comes. And, and you chanting, are you purified of those... If you continue chanting, then you'll become aware of your shortcomings and where, you, oh, I was offensive, just see, and, and so forth. Of course, if this, then it, I guess what Brahma is saying, if there's too much offense, then you can't pay attention and get that. But the name is very generous. He comes to us anyway. This is what Mahaprabhu said. I'm fallen, and I have no taste and no attraction, but still the name is coming to me. That is his mercy. And in giving me the opportunity to see my shortcomings and so on and so forth. Now, I just believe that I've read somewhere that um, some Vaishnavas were saying, well, I, haven't, I wasn't able to chant, and I must have made some offense. Oh, I see what you mean, yeah. I must have offended the Vaishnava, I must have done this or done that. Right, well, yeah, then the name might not come, it's possible. But that, again, is Namaparad, so he may withhold himself, but not in terms of kirtan, even people who are offensive, they hear the kirtan. But if we make offenses, it hinders us. There's no doubt about that. So what else? Yes? I chant a lot when I'm driving because I spend 20 to 30, 40 hours sometimes a week in the car. Is that offensive? It's not offensive, but it's not the same as sitting down chanting japa. There are statements like that everywhere. You can chant any situation, sleeping, walking, talking, but the practical fact is that if you don't sit and pay attention to the chanting, then you're not going to get all these wonderful uh, developments that we're talking about. What else? Yes, sir. It's very difficult for me to understand how gopis or Krishna can suppress their knowledge, Aishwarya, and how can it become Madhurya? Because the knowledge is there, they are well aware of who's who. Uh, but how is it transmitted into Madhurya? How Ashwarya is getting forgotten? Well, it's not forgotten entirely. But it doesn't take precedence. The Prem takes precedence. And so, while it becomes the primary motivating factor in other lokas, oh, he's God, I should serve. It's not the, at all the primary factor. It's like, okay, that's a good thing too. Even the gods love him. I, I would hope they would. Gods think he's worshipable. I do too. But they don't react to it like, oh, my son is like, gods are worshipping him. I should be also worshipping him. So the preem takes precedence. The love takes precedence. And 
Aishvarya is there, but it doesn't affect their prem. But Aishvarya introduces kind of separation. Yeah, because you have to... Why? Because you cannot have close attention, intimate attention to, to somebody full of Aishvarya. Yeah, the prem takes precedence over the Aishvarya. It suppresses the Aishvarya. It's so powerful that it takes precedence over it. So it's there, but it doesn't have the same effect on those devotees who have that kind of prem as it does for those who don't have that kind of prem. Love has that power. If somebody's mother's son becomes the president, she thinks, what? That's another wonderful attribute of my son. She doesn't start thinking, I better call him Mr. President now, right? But he is, he is the president and... Yes. When Krishna's parents see Krishna in a dilemma and they say, well, we better pray to Narayan because we need help for Krishna, isn't that kind of what you're talking about? Or yeah, something to do with it, yeah. Narayan is God and Krishna is our son. Right. What else? Anything else? All right, we'll stop there. Jai. Eti Bhakti Vedanta Sami Prabhupada ki jai, Bhakti Ratsakshita Devu Goswami Maharaj ki jai, Bhakti Siddhanta Sastritaku Prabhupada ki jai, Shri Bhakti Vinod Parivar ki jai, Gaur Bhakta Vrinda ki jai, Gaur Premanande, Haribo.